What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Welcome back, everybody, to Rams Up, your favorite L.A. Rams podcast. You can also follow us on YouTube. Got some great video content. Our YouTube handle is at L.A. Rams Up. You can follow us on Instagram as well. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 197 of Rams Up. And I have a special interview for you today. As promised, the legendary sports talk host, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, joining me for about a half an hour. We go back to the heyday of his show starting in the 1990s, and he's still at it. One of my favorite sports talk hosts of all time. If you want information, Hacksaw is your guy. So that's coming up after we get through some Ram notes here. Rams mini camp over. They'll kick off training camp at UC Irvine July 29th through August 10th. Not every day. Check their schedule, though. They'll have a bunch that are open to the public, of course. Those sessions start at 1230. If you plan on going, the gates open around 11 o'clock. And one of my regular guests, Scott Richmond, will be attending one of those training sessions, and he'll report back to us giving us a first-hand report of what's going on at Rams training camp. The Rams waived kicker Christopher Dunn. I thought he was the front-runner for that job, his job to lose, and, well, he lost it. That leaves Tanner Brown as the only kicker on the roster. Now, Ethan Evans, he can boom kickoffs, but they're going to have to add another kicker, I would think, before training camp. Unless they've already fallen in love with Tanner Brown, maybe that's the case. And they also cut defensive back Colin Duncan. So mini camps over, and you can only learn so much from mini camps and from some of these inside reports and the various press conferences and interviews with some of the coaches. But I've identified 12 guys whose stock is up. And one, two, and three are the three defensive backs, Kobe Durant, Darion Kendrick, and Russ Yeast. McVay mentioned all three of these guys going to be integral parts of this defense. He's counting on them to contribute big time, and I suspect all three of these guys may be already cemented in as starters for opening day. Now, a lot can happen between now and opening day, but McVeigh loves the swag these guys bring. McVeigh obviously counting on these guys to be leaders of this defense. Who else's stock is up? Number four, Cam Akers. McVeigh calling him out as an integral part of this 2023 offense. We kind of expected that, but... We did have our doubts after what happened with him last year. It's also been pointed out that Akers may be taking a leadership role in this locker room with this offense, and that was a surprise to me. And if that's the case, I feel a lot better about Cam Akers' future. He just needs to keep his head straight on. Number five, whose stock is up? Kyron Williams, the other running back. We maybe underestimated the impact of injuries on him last year. I was guilty of maybe writing him off, disappointed that the Rams weren't getting him involved in the offense, given the situation late in the season especially. Kind of thinking maybe Zach Evans is going to leapfrog Williams into that number two spot. But 
let's think about that for a second. Zach Evans, he really had some issues in college, and that is one of the reasons he dropped in the draft to the sixth round, and he's going to have to win over his teammates and that coaching staff. In the meantime, let's leave Kyron Williams as the number two running back. How about that? Number six, well, when an undrafted free agent from Youngstown State gets mentioned by the head coach in the day one press conference, that's something. That's a little special. And I'm talking about Mike McAllister. I originally thought this guy was just going to be camp fodder for some of these other players, but he turned some heads, McVay's head especially, and that's the one that counts the most. Now, we got a big group of healthy offensive linemen coming back, so McAllister has his work cut out trying to make this roster, but maybe, maybe there is a chance. Maybe there's a chance McAllister earns a spot on this roster. Still a long shot, but stock's got to be up given McVay's comments. Who else's stock is up? Well, number seven, Tanner Brown's stock has to be up. I mean, he's the only kicker now with Christopher Dunn cut, so that's kind of obvious. And number eight, Ethan Evans, the punter, reportedly booming kicks. I'm ready to say it, man. Johnny who? Ethan Evans, looking like the real deal. Number nine, Kobe Turner's stock is up. He was reportedly outstanding throughout minicamp. And number 10, another defensive lineman, Marquise Copeland. He was really flashing, reportedly. And we also have these reports that the Rams are going to rotate their defensive line more than in the past. So Copeland will definitely be a big part of that. Number 11, Matthew Stafford's stock is up. Man, he looks lean, mean, and as healthy as we have seen him as a Los Angeles Ram. What a difference it's going to make. Think about where he was last year not even throwing, and as McVay said, the difference is night and day between Stafford 2022 minicamp and the 2023 version. That's something for Ram fans to be really excited about. And number 12, who else the stock is up? The last guy on this list. You know, I've been saying Byron Young better be the real deal. He better be a good NFL player. We are counting on it and Early reports are very positive. He looks incredibly athletic. McVay saying he looks chiseled out of granite out there. Relentless motor, conscientious, and perhaps most importantly, very coachable. Coachable as hell, I think is how McVay put it. So that's really good news. Stock is up in all 12 of these guys. Good reports out of minicamp. You can only learn so much. That's just a few little tidbits of information coming out of camp that should make Ram fans feel a little bit better about their 2023 prospects. Some Ram ruminations from across the internet pro football focus, ranking the Rams wide receiver core, receiving core really, that's including tight ends, as the 14th best in the league. I'm okay with that. Trevor Sikama, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, he was the one that wrote this up and Kind of saying what I've been saying, if you discount Cooper Cup, this unit is not very good, but you can't rate a unit with Cooper Cup in the bottom half of the league. It's just not happening. Remember, it was only two years ago that Cooper Cup had that insane year. Article also called out Van Jefferson as a solid player, Tyler Higbee as an underrated tight end. 
but it's all about Cooper Cup, and I kind of agree with that. Ran across a couple of articles, one of them proposing we trade for Josh Jacobs, and another insinuating that the Rams might be wise to sign Dalvin Cook. Just stop it. It's not happening, and it shouldn't happen. Neither of these players should be brought on. Rams are fine at running back. Makes absolutely no sense. Good morning, football. They had a nice little entertaining feature, breaking the 16 NFC teams into tiers, basically power rankings, kind of like what I did, but they don't number them 1 through 16. They just group them together. They're big dogs, as they call them, were the Eagles and 49ers, the three teams hovering, the Cowboys, Vikings, and Seahawks, to be determined, the Giants, Lions, Saints, and Rams, and shock the world, please, the Commanders, Packers, Bears, Bucks, Panthers, Falcons, and Cardinals. So if you filtered this down to power rankings, the Rams would be at worst ninth, at best sixth. And that's kind of where I had them. I had them at ninth, actually. But they are certainly not writing off the Rams like some other folks are. And just a reminder, coming up soon in the next week or so, our annual Dodger episode, Tom and Paul will be joining me for that. Good time of year to do it. So the Lakers are interested in Chris Paul. Surprise, surprise. This is the type of move the Lakers have been doing. And you know what? If it means they're moving on from D'Angelo Russell, bring on Chris Paul. And Chris Paul is the type of player that can make almost anything work. Extremely intelligent guy. I think it's a pretty good chance Chris Paul is wearing a Laker uniform next year. And the U.S. Open at the L.A. Country Club. I was not even aware that that course existed. Shame on me. But man, it's beautiful. Great public relations for the city of Los Angeles. Just picture postcard perfect views for the entire tournament. And you know, I was pulling for Ricky Fowler. And then kind of knew it wasn't going to happen though. And then I was pulling for Rory. Always loved him. But I'm kind of glad Wyndham Clark won it. Never heard of him before. Seems like a worthy champion to me, though. We'll be back in a second with that interview with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Hi, this is Mariah from Rams Up. Don't forget to like and subscribe. What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Hey, everybody. This is Mark from Rams Up. I have a special guest with me today, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the legendary sports talk host uh, from basically... Famous in the greater San Diego area, but I think he's pretty well known nationwide. Uh, how you doing, Lee? Nice to chat with you, Mark. Yeah, uh, we did Sports Talk Radio back in the day on the legendary Extra Sports 690, which I think is probably how you discovered me. Uh, right. And we weren't really San Diego. We were, quote, Baja of the Canadian Rockies <laughs> because yeah, we were, yeah. we were on a 77,000-watt blowtorch signal uh, with a transmitter in Mexico, and we went up and down the West Coast. And uh, we were the third station in the country that started Sports Talk Radio after WFAN in New York and WIP in Philadelphia and had a tremendous run. 
uh, into the early 2000s. And we, we did a lot of stuff. I was the first, first cornerstone they hired back in 1987. And my deal was coming here to be the voice of the Chargers and then obviously <laughs> becoming a drive time afternoon sports talk show guy. And they evolved the station from 69 Extra Gold with Wolfman Jack into News Talk. And then it evolved further into all sports. And it was unbelievably successful. And it spawned the careers of some really, really cool people. And uh, it's interesting because I, I reflect back now because I, I've had a lot of people call me and talk about uh, how iconic Extra 690 was, Mark. And when we were doing it, we were working so hard, we didn't have any time to realize the standard, the barrier uh, that we had set. And it was absolutely amazing uh, to be the third one in the country to, to execute all sports 24 hours a day had not been heard of on the West Coast. And we did it with the only flagship team we had was the San Diego Chargers. But uh, we eventually evolved into a lot of other things, NHL hockey with the Kings and the Ducks and USC Trojan football. And we had a tremendous run doing it. But uh, it was kind of by accident. Uh, the owner of the station had a vision. Uh, I wasn't sure that vision was correct, but I was the first one through the wall. And I had to do it all by myself for a long extended period of time. And then we eventually evolved into sports talk radio. And, you know, that that brought on just a wide variety of, of unique personalities. And we hit the jackpot on a bunch of people. And if management ever said, well, that was the blueprint, I will tell you that was not the blueprint because they stumbled on the guys. They knew who I was, but they didn't know how good Jim Rome would become when they hired him as a part-time night guy to evolve into what Jim did. And, and they kind of stumbled upon Steve Hartman and were trying to find a co-host with him. And they wound up getting Chet Forty from New York, the legendary ABC Monday Night Football producer. And he moved out here and he was here with Steve for a couple of years. And he passed on very suddenly with a heart attack. And we were looking for another guy to co-host. And I recommended a friend of mine who'd covered the NFL, who was based out of Philadelphia, Bill Wernell. And they hired him. and. Steve Hartman, Chet Forty, Steve Hartman, Bill Wendell became the Loose Cannons. And that that had its own identity. And our morning show, uh, they bounced around a lot of different people. And they finally settled on, on Mason in Ireland. And that worked for a while. And those guys left to go to Los Angeles. And John Ireland is, is now the radio voice of the L.A. Lakers. Right. And they flipped from that into Scott and B.R., kind of an all-football show with Scott Kaplan and Billy Ray Smith, two former NFL guys. And that worked really well. So... It wasn't by design, but they, they just kept finding people. And a lot, a lot of the national people that I've talked to about 690 want to know why I thought it worked, Mark. And I'll, I'll just give you a quick response and then I'll have you react. But I thought it worked because every day part was different. Every day part had a different agenda. Every day part had a different persona. Uh, and the morning show was kind of offbeat and that was okay. Uh, but they were doing sports, but it was offbeat. And Jim Rome obviously appealed to a different clientele, and that was great. And the loose cannons, the coolest part about that, and I told the owner, I said, this is going to work. Because you had Steve Hartman, who came out of Los Angeles, was young guy, West Coast guy. Chet Forty was old school East Coast guy. And they were so polar opposite. And they'd talk, and they'd clash, and they'd argue. And it was just cool. And then when Chet suddenly passed on, I introduced him to Philly Billy, and the same thing happened again. East Coast, West Coast, young, old, was good radio. And 
I was the first to do it in my day part. And mine, I was the internet before the internet in terms of information and tons of stuff that nobody really had access to. And because I knew how to network with people. That's the bottom line of how we got good so quick and how we stayed for such a long period of time. The saddest part was the way it ended when Clear Channel Radio came in and bought up all the stations in San Diego and then elected not to stay in the business of Mexican radio because it was expensive. And they dropped this and they cut virtually all the talent loose and they tried to take the idea of what we were doing to Los Angeles. And it hasn't it didn't really work out because we were the first to do it and they didn't take everybody with them. So that's why it, it went away. But so it was a phenomenal run. I think it went from 1987, I want to say, to maybe 2002. And then iHeart Clear Channel gave up the program license in Mexico and the station went away and they started to try to do their own thing with Sports Talk Radio and a couple of different signals in L.A. But it hasn't it has never, ever been the same. So we were the first through the wall and we really did it. And I happen to think we really did it good. Very, very, very different time in the industry. That's exactly right. And when I became a big fan of your show was, if I take you back to the late 1990s, the Rams had left LA for St. Louis. We really didn't have, well, there were no podcasts. The internet was in its infancy. And I remember in, you know, like August of every year, when all the NFL teams are in training camp, I would walk out to my car to drive home from work and I'd go to 690. I don't know if it was like four or five o'clock. And the first 20 minutes of your show, maybe even more, you would just do a data dump of every camp, uh, every team. And, and that's what I loved about it. I was just desperate for any tidbit of Rams news. And you were, you delivered pretty much every day. And that's what I was going to ask you is you mentioned your ability to network. How did you network back in those days? Because it was a different time. You know, it wasn't, it was before the internet. uh, And it was, it must've been really difficult to accumulate all that information on a daily basis. Well, first of all, I was on at four o'clock afternoon drive. You never thought you'd enjoy gridlock so much, did you? (laughs) Right, right, right. So, so that that was the item one. Item two, I never met a phone number that I didn't want to call. And I just had a way to find access to people. And again, I was doing what nobody had else ever done. And the best 15 minutes in radio is what you're making reference to. Access headlines, which, you know, I hit the bullet points of all the big stories of the day. And then I challenged you, the listener, at home, at work, or in gridlock to call me and argue with me about the favorite topic you had on your table. And that's what made it a success. And then I created this. And I, I started this actually when I was in Phoenix. I did uh, sports talk for seven years at KTAR in Phoenix and just kind of evaluated how to do this and how to deliver it. And I just created this type of national and to a degree global content. And then I started to develop unique things, the tour of the NFL training camps, baseball spring training camps, NFL draft previews, NBA draft previews, NHL draft previews. And and that's what made the show roll because nobody else was doing it and nobody was dedicating the time nor the resources to do it. There were mom and pop sports talk shows in San Diego, you know, one hour talk, but that's all. And up in L.A., it was the exact same thing. Uh, they do Dodger talk on KABC, and there might have been Rams talk for a short period, but nobody was doing it across the board. So we we really laid the foundation. Everybody else has tried to copycat what Extra 690 was, 
And I don't, I don't know that you can ever reproduce it because A, you don't have the talent. B, it takes a lot of time. And you asked how I did it. I, I did four hours a night. I produced my own show. So I spent the whole day booking guests. And then I did USC Trojan football, the Chargers. And then after the Chargers left our station, I took, I took on the Seattle Seahawks job. So I was working seven days a week. Uh, I was doing it all by myself. And I look back now and say, gee, how did you do that? But wasn't it great to be young and stupid at one point? Yeah. But that's, I don't think, that's how I did it. And I liked it. And it, it worked really, really well. I don't think people appreciate how much research and how much time goes into producing a one hour of radio or a one hour podcast. It's uh, Now, there are a lot of shows where it's just two guys gabbing. That's one thing. Doesn't maybe take as much time uh, prep wise. I mean, you probably have some show notes, but your type of presentation, yeah, it had to take hours and hours. And the only I do remember in uh, back in that time frame when the Rams are in St. Louis, there was uh, a Raider, uh, a Raider show, and there was a gentleman that was just all into the Raiders, and I wasn't interested in that, so I tuned into your show. Um, hey, tell us a little bit about. Um, I know you don't have a lot of time, so I want to hit on a few topics. What's your take on the whole Charger fiasco moving to San, moving to L.A.? I, I assume that you are or were a Charger fan at heart at some point. Uh, how do you feel about the Chargers these days? Well, I did 13 years. I was the voice of the Chargers, and we did things on radio that had never, ever been done and have never been done since then. Uh, and I woke up one morning post-Super Bowl after the Chargers had been to the Super Bowl, and the organization just changed. It was It was sad. And it all it became all about money. It became all about greed. And, and they walked away from our radio station. We offered them a lot of money to renew the contract. I woke up one morning and the contract was gone. And we were not allowed to go with it and broadcast it in another station. Uh, I, I, I was really sad uh, to a degree. I was really bitter at the Spanos family for what they did. Uh, and then eventually they moved the franchise, which created another divisive chunk of bitterness that all of us in San Diego share. Uh, it was all about greed. It was all about putting money in the pocket. And they've gone up there and they become an afterthought. They're not really on a lot of people's radar. I mean, it's a Dodger Laker town and then it became a Rams town. And it's always going to be a USC town, but they're kind of on the periphery. So I can't forgive Dean Spanos for what he did to 55 years of loyalty from these fans here. And I think the thing that disappoints me the most is and we had a lot of bad leadership in terms of the mayor etc we went through some real trauma financially in our community in our city but it was not until we got to the end of the run with kevin faulkner uh, he was able to put together a city county consortium with nfl money from the g3 fund to come up to build a new stadium on the qualcomm site and spanos refused to go to the negotiating table and he fabricated an alternative proposal that was never going to pass just so he could leave and go to what he thought would be the riches up in Los Angeles. And he turned his back on 55 years of loyalty. And it, it just, it's just a damn shame. It, and it left a hole in the heart of a sports fan. I don't think the marketplace, Mark, has been the same here uh, since, since they left. Granted, we have the Padres and they're doing really well for this short window of time. But Spanos could have been the savior. And, and yeah. that's the thing, that really, the thing that really infuriates me. He could have been the savior. He would have been an icon in the community. And instead, he became a scoundrel who wanted money and left in the middle of the night to go to L.A. and rented a stadium because the league wouldn't allow him to build his own stadium. And he didn't have the resources to build his own stadium. It just 
it's just really a sad commentary. And yeah, we, miss, my, we miss the NFL, something terrible down here. Yeah, I know. And I feel bad for San Diego. And and my perspective has been that, you know, um, San, the Chargers pretty much owned San Diego. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's a, a little bit like LA. There are some transplants and fans for various teams and that's, that's the situation in LA and that's never going to change. Uh, there's, you know, Steeler fans, Packer fans, Raider fans, Jet fans, you name it. The fans are there in LA and, and to a lesser degree in San Diego. But, you know, when, when I came to San Diego, you know, it's, it, it was different from LA in that everybody's wearing charger jerseys. There's just chargers, chargers, chargers everywhere. And it's great. And, and I feel like I'm, I've never was, necessarily a charger fan but i certainly didn't have any any strong feeling against them either and, and i've always wanted them to do well and i know a lot of former charger fans that yeah they're still hurting they're really hurting it's a shame yeah it is and i mean it's it's probably the same feel for when georgia frontieri took the rams out of la and moved them to st louis and the difference is then you got Stan Kroenke, who's brought them back to Los Angeles and won a Super Bowl and built an unbelievable stadium. So, you know, L.A. fans probably feel a little bit better right now. I mean, there's no NFL franchise coming back here because there's no stadium here. And I, I don't know, just because of the economics and the way our community is wired, that we're ever going to build a stadium here. And that's that's really sad. But had a great run. Uh, you know, there was there were a couple of really good eras of Chargers football in the old AFL and obviously the Air Coriel era in the short window. I mean, I did the games for 13 years. We had a bunch of bad football, but we got to the Super Bowl under Bobby Ross and then the Marty Schottenheimer era in which they got close uh, with Rivers and Tomlinson and that great team to get into the Super Bowl. Never quite got there. And then it's obviously been a downward cycle since then. And then they left town. So, like I say, there's a hole in the heart. Uh, of a lot of NFL fans here in San Diego. Yeah, the Chargers have a great history. And like I said, uh, I'm very close to a lot of Charger fans. And yeah, a, a lot of exciting games. A lot of, I think the Charger fan base has probably been through more heartbreak, uh, especially end of game heartbreak than any franchise. But yeah, they've had a really, really tough run. I'll say this, though, in all, all franchises, that's cyclical. You'll do well, then you won't do well. But to be part of a community in which this goes from bad football to really good football to a team going to the Super Bowl, it galvanized the community. And even though Steve Young blew us out in the Super Bowl with six touchdown passes for the 49ers in that game in 1995, the journey, the journey to the Super Bowl is what everybody remembers here in our community. So it's just too bad that it's gone. Uh, I, I'll, I'll wrap up this question by saying this. The bulk of us down here in San Diego hope that Justin Herbert, the quarterback, goes 17-0. and And everybody here in San Diego hopes Dean Spanos goes 0-17. Period, <laughs> exclamation point. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Okay, hey, do you want to share with our audience uh, what you're up to now and how they can find you on uh, online? podcasts, uh, Twitter and such? Well, I did sports talk radio in this market for 28 years. Been doing TV sports anchor work part-time for six years on KUSI. I do a Saturday sports package. The big thing is I started my own website about a decade ago, and it's all written. And if you like the stuff that I did on sports talk radio in terms of all the data and information, you'll like my website. It's leehacksawhamilton.com. 
Uh, you can subscribe to it. It's absolutely free. So you'll get the alerts when I post. I write every night on the on the website. So it's there first thing in the morning. And I just started a podcast. I don't know how this works, but it's blowing up. I do, I do the content and all the creative graphics. I have another guy as my co-host uh, who does all the infrastructure IT stuff. And it's, it's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's everywhere. Uh, it's just Lee Hacksaw Hamilton dash sports, uh, which will get you to my podcast, do a couple podcasts a week, plus stuff that we add to the podcast during the course of the week. It's just it's taken off. It's just really kind of cool. So that's that's the way to, my brand is still out there in front of the community. That's good to know. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, like I say, um, you were my uh, conduit to Rams information for several years. And I always appreciated that. And uh it's been great chatting with you. I really appreciate your time. It was nice getting caught up. Mark, I appreciate it. And when they get to training camp the end of July, if you want to do a, a little Rams, Raiders, Chargers talk, uh, hook up with me and we'll do it again for all your followers. Hey, maybe right after that Rams-Chargers preseason game on August 12th, that would be a good time to do it. Uh, okay, Lee, thanks a lot for your time. And we'll catch up to you another time uh, later in the summer. Mark, I appreciate it. You get a chance, check the website and definitely check my podcast. It's I'm, really different. You'll like it, though. Nice to yeah. be with you. Thanks again. Yeah. Okay. Have a good day. Okay, Mark. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at ramsup.com. And don't forget about our YouTube channel. Our handle is at laramsup.com. Till next time, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of the YouTube Audio Library. Tracks featuring Bar Crawl by Track Tribe. Buckeye Banzai by Vans in Japan. And Crimson Fly by Hamama. What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plastic-free 305.